We're talking about the story of salvation, and today it falls to me to talk about redemption. What a wonderful word, redemption. This word is used many times in Scripture in the strict legal sense. It means acquittal, to send away, the canceling of a debt, the receiving a pardon. Paul, in many of his writings, described and used the word redemption to describe the adoption that believers have into the family of God. Redemption, to buy, to purchase. Theologically, the word is used to mean vindicated, justified, declared righteous before God, and the role it plays in the salvation story. The Greek word, lutro, gets to the core of it because it means to release from captivity. Redemption, then, is the means by which salvation itself is accomplished. I invite you to look at our text, and if you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, you'll find it on page 976. At verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, there are many passages in scripture that speak to the issue of redemption, but this particular passage is exquisitely rich in its teaching. In redemption, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are each actively involved. In these verses, we see the work of each person of the Trinity as it relates to the salvific work of redemption. God the Father in eternity past chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to be adopted into the family of God, pouring out his grace upon us in Christ. We see God the Son involved in history past, redeeming us through his blood and bringing us to forgiveness and lavishing us with gifts of wisdom and understanding. God the Holy Spirit is involved even today because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, God's gift to us, the Holy Spirit. You and I, with all God's people, have been the focus of God's concern before the creation of the universe. Each person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been involved in bringing us the grace that we stand in today. But, you may ask, why then is redemption necessary? Why? In his sermon, Pastor Best proclaimed the truth that God created the heavens and the earth. And in that perfect world that God created, sin entered the world. 
Pastor Birchie explained last week that sin entered into God's perfect world because of the doubt and disobedience of Adam and Eve. Original sin. When we launched this series, Pastor Setzer said that salvation has a personal and cosmic effect, and there it is. Because sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, it impacts all of humanity, and that includes you and I. Now, there may be some today that would simply say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't seem quite fair. I didn't have anything to do with what happened in the Garden of Eden. What does what Adam and Eve had to do with me? Why should I be punished for their misconduct? Fair enough. Put aside for a moment then the issue of original sin and put aside the disobedience of Adam and Eve and now you stand before God Almighty on the basis of your life. But I caution you, remember, you are now in the presence of a holy God. Nothing is hidden from him. You wouldn't have to replay your life for very long. You wouldn't have to go back many years in order to identify sin that has crept into your life. In fact, if we're going to be honest with each other this morning, you don't have to go back many years. Why don't you just reflect on the last 40 minutes? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And my friends, where there is sin, there is slavery. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Titus 3, 3, consider these words. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Where there is sin, there is slavery. We were all enslaved to sin, but note, The passage here in Titus, and I can't linger here, it's not just about our actions, but it's about our attitudes as well. Enslaved by sin, we couldn't buy ourselves out. We couldn't talk our way out of the bondage of slavery. We couldn't connive or lie or manipulate or scheme our way out. And no amount of gold, silver, or money was going to purchase our way out of the penalty of sin. So who then could help us? Let's look again at the text. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here it is. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The beloved here in this text is Jesus. My friends, God has been concerned about us, our redemption, since the beginning of time. In the Old Testament, we are introduced to the concept of the kinsman redeemer. 
And there were three basic qualifications for the kinsman redeemer. You had to be related to the one who was being redeemed. You had to be able to pay the price, and you had to be willing to do so. The kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to the various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege and, I would say, the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble. The kinsman redeemer is the one who's designated to rescue and deliver, to redeem the property or the person. The kinsman redeemer vindicates a relative, and that's best illustrated in the book of Ruth, where the kinsman redeemer is Boaz. In that story, Ruth and Boaz begin with Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they returned to Bethlehem from Moab, where they'd been living, and as you recall, Naomi's husband and both sons had died, leaving these two women penniless and without a male protector. Upon arriving in Bethlehem, Naomi sends Ruth to gleam in the fields of Boaz, a wealthy relative of Naomi. And due to divinely appointed circumstances, they appeal to Boaz, and he acquiesces and willingly takes Ruth as his wife. And together they bear a son who became the grandfather of David. Now, in the Old Testament, Yahweh is the Redeemer, the one who promises to defend and to vindicate. He is both the Father and the Deliverer. And there are numerous Old Testament appeals to God as the rescuer of the weak and the needy. In the New Testament, Christ himself is regarded as our example of the kinsman redeemer because as our brother, he also redeems us because of our great need. And beloved, he's the only one who could and who could satisfy. We see a beautiful and poignant picture of a needy supplicant, unable to rescue herself, redeem herself, to make a life for herself. And in that way, the Lord Jesus Christ bought us for himself, out of the curse, out of destitution, made us his own beloved bride, and blessed us for all generations. He is the true kinsman redeemer for all who call upon him in faith. Who could redeem us from sin? The question prompted the writer of hymns to write, and he answered, who could wash away my sins? Who could make me whole again? Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our Redeemer is Jesus. The beloved in this passage is Jesus, and he is the one able to deliver us from bondage in the domain of darkness. God's mercy ransoms man from God's justice. But where did this occur? Where did this redemption take place, you ask? At Calvary, beloved. For 33 years, Jesus walked on this earth. For 33 years, he never committed a sin, not as a child, not as an adolescent, not as an adult. For 33 years, he was sinless and blameless, yet he was beaten like no man has ever been beaten before. 
The scourging should have killed him. His flesh was ripped open and torn, and in the whips there were embedded pieces of metal that would literally rip the flesh to the bone and tear it away. And they whipped him, and when there weren't any new places of flesh to rip, they turned him over, and they whipped him again and again and again and again and again until they wearied from literally beating him. And then he drug that cross painstakingly to Golgotha with each step in agony and in pain, but never quitting from what he was going to do. And then they nailed him to the cross. And there, at that moment, God the Father poured out the full measure of his wrath on him to pay the penalties for our sins because, you see, he looked at Jesus as though Jesus had lived my life. Because now, because of his atoning blood, he looks at those who've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as though we have lived Jesus' life. That, my friends, is the gospel. That's the good news. We are now clothed in the righteousness of God. We were not redeemed with perishable things, Scripture says, like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Oh, what a wonderful word, redeemed. Redeemed redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. This is our present possession. Free from sin's guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation, free from bondage, free from the power of sin in our life, free from the penalty of sin in our life, and one day, praise God, we'll be free from the very presence of sin. I'll ask you then, what then should be our response to this redemption? Did Jesus die for our sins simply so that we could escape hell? No, sir. Our salvation, our not spending eternity in hell is one of the blessings, and there are many, it's one of the blessings of our salvation, but it's not the main purpose of our salvation. Yes, Jesus came to save the lost. John 4:23 explains, for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Jesus was sent to seek and to save for the specific purpose of producing true and authentic worshipers. God redeemed us so that we would worship him and glorify his holy name. All throughout scripture, we see that when the people had a right relationship with God and appreciated the fact that they were in fact redeemed, the result of that was worship. And we also see that when they failed to appreciate that God had redeemed them, that they forfeited their many blessings. 
Nehemiah tells us that the angels in heaven, the heavenly hosts themselves, bowed down before thee. Adam and Eve in the garden, sin came because they abandoned the pure worship of obedience. As soon as they put Satan's word above God's word, they ceased worshiping, and so it is with us today as well. We cease to worship God in spirit and in truth whenever we doubt his word and whenever we are disobedient to that that he has told us. Our worship ceases. The exodus of Israel from Egypt is a wonderful illustration of redemption. They're rescued from bondage but forced to wander in the wilderness because they failed to worship their God properly. In Deuteronomy, the people are reminded of the importance of true, authentic, acceptable worship as a response of God's redemption. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into the place and gave us this land, a a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold now, I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God, and here it is, and worship before the Lord your God. Nehemiah records the great revival that occurred during Ezra's ministry and the people believed in their God and they had faith and they repented and they fasted and they confessed and they worshiped God together. Isaiah says, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. In Matthew, what was the response of the wise men from the east when they came and saw him in a manger? They worshiped him. When the leper came before him in chapter eight, he worshiped him. The woman of Cana, she worshiped him. I think Philippians 3.3 gives us one of the most perfect definitions of an authentic Christian. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What then is the correct response to the death of Jesus on that cross on our behalf, beloved? It's worship. It's praise. He's worthy of our praise. It's to bring him honor and glory to his holy name in our daily lives. It's holy awe and reverence and it's worship. We live at a time and in a place where we don't want to offend anyone. We don't share our faith because we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Beloved, 
The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will comfort the afflicted and it will afflict the comfortable. It will cut to the heart. We are called upon to share our testimonies, not to judge other people for their behavior, but rather talk about the God who has saved you. Not to criticize their walk, but to talk about what he's done for you. Did he wake you up this morning? Did he clothe you? Have you had a little something to eat? Has he given you a future and a hope? Has he adopted you into his family and grafted you in so that you now can call him Abba, Father? Do you have access to him through prayer? These are the things that we need to talk about. And beloved, it is a sin before God to be silenced about the God who has saved you. I submit to you, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. We need to talk about this God, to talk about this Jesus. The death of Jesus secured to all men a delay in the execution of the sentence from sin. You need to hear me. The greatest lie that Satan has ever perpetrated on humanity is not that God doesn't exist. He can't sell that. All of creation testifies to the fact that God exists. Scientists themselves now have to concede that time had a beginning. No news to anyone who reads their Bible, because Genesis 1-1 tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He can't sell that there is no God because the transformation that occurs when people surrender their lives to him is real. They are new creatures in Christ, no longer shackled to the habits of sin and dissipation, and you can't counterfeit that. It's authentic, it is real, it's transformational. He can't sell that there is no God, but the greatest lie that he wants to perpetrate is that you have more time. Not today. You see, I'm, I'm busy. And at some point, there's a book I want to read. There's a study I'm going to do. I'm going to sign up for one of those small groups, but not today. Yeah, I might call and talk to Pastor Birchie or Elder Steve Geary or some of the other, but not today. I've been thinking about going to Mary Loman's class because I hear that they're teaching the word of God up there in Sisters in Christ, but I'm not going to do that today. When Jesus died on the cross, the death of Jesus, in fact, secured to all men a delay in the execution of the sentence against sin, but beloved, I have to be clear. If you haven't put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on death row.
Jesus' death on the cross provides room for repentance. Jesus' death on the cross has removed every obstacle to pardon and restoration. Who are these redeemed people? Ephesians 1.1 tells us the saints, the faithful in Christ. I'm going to invite our prayer team, if they'd start making their way to the front of the sanctuary. And if you have put your faith and your hope and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and there isn't any doubt as to where you're going to spend eternity, then saints, I'm inviting you to pray now. Because I'm asking, and I'm asking you plain, what are you putting your faith in today? Let me ask you something. If you're not putting your faith and your hope and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever that is or whoever it is, would they take lashes for you? Would they allow their flesh to be ripped apart for you? Would they die for you? Whatever it is that you're putting your faith and your hope and your trust in, the Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you, are you beat down? Are you downtrodden? Are you feeling hopeless this morning? Has your life been filled with people that aren't speaking words of affirmation and grace into your life, but rather they're constantly telling you that you're not smart enough? You're not wise enough. You're too old. You're too young. You don't come from the right place. You're the wrong color. You don't have enough money. The world will beat you down with such lies, but we cannot talk about redemption and the price that was paid without realizing that God Almighty himself, in your eyes, you are priceless and you have value to God. Don't you realize, beloved, that it cost more to redeem us than it was to create all of the universe? God spoke the universe into existence by the sheer force of his will, but he bought our redemption with his very blood. He loves you, and that's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, please respond. Redemption is real. You can be freed from the bondage of sin this morning. You can be freed. The Lord put a song on my heart this morning. I'm free. Praise the Lord, I'm free. No longer bound. No more chains holding me. My soul is resting. Oh, what a blessing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. 
Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. This is your time. You need to confess something to God today, then repent, confess, be restored. The penalty for your sin has already been paid. God wants to be in fellowship with you. Examine your hearts now. If there's something you need to get straight, get it straight. Don't leave this place the way that you walked in. Or maybe you're sitting there this morning and you say, I've never put my faith in Jesus and I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. Then praise God, I'm glad that you're here because this message is for you. The saints of God are praying for you even now. The hosts of heaven are praying for you even now. Won't you respond in faith to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? You don't have to do anything. Just simply say where you are. I'm a sinner. And I believe God died for my sins. I believe what I've heard, that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. And I'm asking you this morning, based upon your word, save me. That's all you need to say. Cry out to him now in your heart. Save me. Almighty Father, I've said what you'd have me to say. Take the little that I have and you multiply it now for your glory. I thank you, Father, for saving us. I thank you, Lord, for saving me, for unshackling me from bondage, for creating in me a clean heart, for giving me a future and a hope. Now, through the abundance of your grace, Lord, which you transform lives today, we pray. We'll always be quick to give you the credit, to give you the honor, to give you the praise, to give you the glory. Now we do pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, our King, and our Redeemer. And amen.